whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Paul begins chapter 4 with the word therefore. And of course, therefore is predicated upon what came before. And so we need to read a few verses out of chapter 3 to understand what Paul is transitioning from. He says in verse 20 of chapter 3 that our citizenship, the Christian's citizenship, is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. So Paul says, therefore, because your citizenship is in heaven, because your eyes are not focused on a horizontal view of what is going on in this world, but rather we are focused upon heaven and we recognize that from heaven, Jesus will once again return to this earth and at that time resurrect us. The dead in Christ, it says in 1 Thessalonians, will rise first. And we who are alive and remain will be changed. Our bodies will be transformed in a a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And we will go up into the clouds to be with Him. We look for that day. We build our lives upon the notion, really the reality, that our citizenship, our true being, is in heaven with Jesus. That's what motivates us. That's what drives us. And Paul says, based upon that, my brothers and sisters, and then he gives three different admonitions to the Philippians. But all of them are based upon being in the Lord. What does it mean to be in the Lord? Well, it means that you have been baptized or immersed or literally placed into the spiritual body of Christ. That's what happens when you believe. When the gospel is preached to you, you believe the gospel, you then are transformed into a new creation. All of the old things have passed away. And spiritually, your, re, your, your new person, that, that new creation is immersed into, baptized into the body of Christ. That's what Paul was talking about in Ephesians chapter 4, where he said there is one baptism. And the one baptism is the baptism into the body of Christ, where then all Christians, all true believers, reside in the Lord. So here this morning, you're sitting 
on wooden pews, but the reality is that you are seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Because you are in Christ. And where is Christ currently? He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so being in Christ means being a part of his body. And there are several places throughout the New Testament where we read uh, delineation about what that means. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about the fact that we are all part of his body. Now, some of us are hands, some of us are feet, some of us are eyes, some of us are ears. We have a great diversity within the body of Christ, but it's all one body. We are unified in him. So are you a believer in Jesus Christ here this morning? Have you trusted your future, your eternity, to the gospel of Jesus Christ? The fact that he lived a sinless life, that he died upon a cross in your place and in my place to shed his blood for our sin, to pay the price for our transgressions, and that he rose up again from the dead on the third day, proving that he was the Son of God, that he had conquered death and hell. If you believe that, if you trust that, then you are a Christian and you have been baptized into his body. And so when Paul says to stand firm in the Lord, he is talking about the reality that you exist in him. Your spiritual being exists in Christ. And so there's three admonitions. To stand firm in the Lord. And then for Euodia and Syntyche, he admonishes them to have the same mind in the Lord. And then he concludes by saying to rejoice in the Lord. And I want to take a look at each one of these because I think it's important here that we understand the unity of the body of Christ and what it means to each one of us as we gather together each and every Sunday and throughout the week. Paul starts off by giving this uh, statement of love and longing that he has for the Philippians. He calls them brothers and sisters, and indeed that is true. We also, in addition to being baptized into the body of Christ, are adopted as sons and daughters into his family. And so we are truly brothers and sisters. And Paul says to them, I love you. I long for you. You are, in fact, my joy and crown. This is a recognition of the immense value that each and every person has in Christ. And truly, indeed, beyond Christ. But certainly in Christ, each one of us has immense value to God and should be to one another. Now, sometimes that's not exactly how it plays out, is it? We have divisions in the church. We have backbiting occasionally in the church. We have people posturing for prominence and position within the church. 
And that's unfortunate, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But, but what Paul is, is exhorting the Philippians to is a recognition of the value that they hold for him, but in turn, the value that they should hold for each other. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, Paul writes this to the Thessalonians. For what is our hope and our joy? Or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. So Paul has a, a view towards the second coming of Christ here. When Christ returns, he says, at that moment, what will be our joy or our crown or our glory? Is it not you? He writes to the Thessalonians. Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So here Paul is writing a similar sentiment to the Philippians. You are my joy and my crown. I, when I look forward to the return of Jesus Christ, I want to see you with me receiving our Lord together. There's an eschatological perspective that Paul is taking. He valued people because he understood that people, human beings, the household of faith, certainly, but really all of human creation, we are image bearers of God. Now, I'm not sure that we all truly understand what that means, to be an image bearer of God. But that's indeed what we read about in Genesis. The Lord said, let us make man in our image. And in the image of God was he created. And so we all carry with us the image of God. Now that's a profound statement. I don't fully grasp it. I certainly don't. But I accept it. And Paul is exhorting the Philippians and in turn us to accept it as well. To understand that when we look at other people, we're not just seeing this person or that person, but in fact, we are seeing the image of God reflected in them. When Paul looked at the Philippians, he wasn't just seeing Lydia or the Philippian jailer or the slave girl whom he set free. But Paul was seeing Jesus Christ in their eyes, in their faces. The image of God was pressed upon them. And Paul says to stand firm in the Lord in this way, understanding that as we gather together. We are gathering truly as the body of Christ. And we are to stand firm in that knowledge that we are the body of Christ collectively and individually possessors of the image of God. That's why John writes in, in his first epistle that we cannot love God whom we have not seen if we cannot love our brother whom we have seen. So it, it, it's a misnomer to suppose that I can proclaim a love for God and at the same time gossip about, downgrade, 
discriminate against brothers and sisters in Christ. Or for that matter, non-believers who still carry the image of God. Stand firm in this knowledge, Paul is saying to them. Because your citizenship is in heaven. Because you look for a Savior who will return from there, Jesus Christ. And he says also, I then plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and my true companion, I ask you to help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Euodia and Syntyche, interesting characters. Women who are of great substance. And I want to say to you, that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it says in Galatians chapter 3 that there is no male or female. The, the Christian message elevated women to a point of prominence to where they were contending side by side with the great apostle in the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't go into to specific detail about how they did that, but these were women of substance who literally probably risked their life in the proclamation of the gospel with the Apostle Paul there in Philippi. And yet, there is some kind of contention, disagreement, division, or schism that has arisen between these two women. We're not privy to it. What I can can fairly confidently say is that it's not related to the gospel. In other words, one of them is not proclaiming a false gospel. The division hasn't come because of a difference of opinion about how to be saved. If that were the case, Paul certainly would address that. Because Paul confronted Peter to his face when Peter was being a hypocrite with regards to the true message of the gospel. So it's not with regards to the essential issue of the gospel. There is a division here that has arisen over some other matter. And Paul is pleading with them to be of the same mind, again, that phrase, in the Lord. Recognizing Euodia, recognizing Syntyche, that you are both in the body of Christ together. Now, indeed, Maybe Euodia was an ear and Syntyche was a nose. They had different roles. And sometimes in the church, that happens to us. We think that because of our different roles, there is uh, a need for separation when in fact it's really a recognition that we must work in concert with one another. We need each other. If this church is ever going to make the gospel known in this community in the full measure that we have the capacity to do that, it's going to be because we are of the same mind in the Lord. Now, how many churches have divided? How many movements have begun because of things that were not essential? I like it when we sing these kind of songs. I prefer it when we sing these kind of songs. 
I think that there should be new carpet in the church. Well, I think that we should put hard stone in the church. I mean, all kinds of things throughout the centuries have arisen that churches have separated over. People have begun new movements. Not because the gospel is different. In fact, if, if you examine the major denominations and you talk to them about the centrality of the gospel, what you will find is most of them agree on the gospel. But they differ on worship styles. They differ on non-essentials. So somehow here, Euodia and Xinctiki have divided. And there is potential for that division to spread throughout the church. So Paul is pleading them with them to be of the same mind in the Lord. Well, back in chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul said to the Philippians that they are to have the same mind as Christ. In humility, valuing each other above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests, rather, of each other. So that's Paul's exhortation to them. Have the mind of Christ, Euodia. Have the mind of Christ, Syntyche. Humble yourselves. Put the other in a position of preference before yourself, just as Christ did for us. He emptied himself of all of his prerogative as the Son of God and became a man and lived among us and suffered humility to the point of death upon a cross. How much more ought you and I to humble ourselves and to recognize, again, the immense value of the people who are gathered together with us? Now, when you get temporally focused, when you begin to look at the carpet or the stained glass or the style of worship, you can become nearsighted with regards to the things that truly matter. And that's why, I believe, in verse 3, Paul tells Euodia, that they're written in the book of life. Okay. Was I off that whole time? Okay. If I was, that explains some of the blank looks on your face. Battery must be losing charge or something. Okay. Well, if I go off again, I'm just going to shout. Um, Okay, we'll see how that goes. Jason, yeah. <laughs> Stop and think about the profound reality that is being communicated here. Our names 
Paul Vickers, Eric Vogt, Jason Grossi. I could go through and list each one of you. Your names are recorded in the book of life. That is literally the record of your citizenship in heaven. Now, we could go there and read through it, but you'll just have to trust me when I say that in Revelation chapter 20, books are opened. And specifically, one book, the book of life, becomes the measure of whether or not someone stands before the great white throne judgment. Now, the great white throne judgment is a judgment of condemnation. It's a judgment where people are literally sent to the lake of fire for eternity. And what is the basis, the predicate for whether or not a person stands before the great white throne? It's whether or not your name is recorded in the book of life. Now, for those of you who are interested, I have a a detailed study of the book of life. I would be glad to copy it for you. I'm not going to go into great detail here, but it's an amazing study. It starts back in Exodus with Moses, and it goes through, as I said, the book of Revelation. The key point is that if you are in Christ, if you have believed the gospel and been born again of the Spirit, Your name is recorded in the book of life. And with that understanding, take, Paul says, an eternal perspective on the conflicts that you experience in this life. Is it really something of eternal gravity? Is it something that deals with a person's eternal soul? Or is it something that deals with our own personal preference? or our own fleshly desire to uh, have power, position, or prominence. Paul says, focus on eternity, church. Remember that your names are written together in the book of life. You are in the Lord, so be of the same mind. Join together in humility. Love one another. And with that understanding, rejoice in the Lord always. You are in the Lord. Rejoice. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Rejoice that regardless of anything you experience here, up until the point of death for the sake of the gospel, you are able to rejoice because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Hallelujah. That is good news. Now, if you're here this morning or if you are hearing my voice and you're not sure if your name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life, if you are not absolutely assured that you have believed the gospel and trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation, then here's what I'm saying to you. You need to deal with that now. You need to make a decision to follow after Christ and believe the gospel. There is no decision that weighs more importantly in your life than to assure that you are in Christ, written in the Lamb's book of life, a citizen of heaven. If you are, then you can rejoice. And again, you can say rejoice. No matter what I go through, I am able to rejoice. The essence 
of worship. I learned this at, at uh, the conference I was just attending. The essence of worship is joy and hope. Hope that we look for a returning Savior. Joy in the, the reality that I am going to spend eternity in His presence. So there's a great joy there. So what's the application? Well, first, the application is that each one of us needs to stand firm in, make a commitment to, begin the practice of seeing one another, seeing other people as image bearers of God and loving them accordingly. And based upon that knowledge, practicing love in humility. Paul wrote to the Corinthians that knowledge puffs up. I mean, any one of us can possess knowledge. But the true test, the true measure of faith in Christ is when we put that knowledge into practice through love. Knowledge puffs up. Love edifies or strengthens. And so we need to humble ourselves and walk with one another with the mind of Christ. Esteeming others around us as better than ourselves. And then finally, taking an eternal view of all of the circumstances and situations with which we have to deal. Whether it's on the job, in a family, in the community, ultimately, perhaps, in persecution. Now, we don't experience that much in America in Gunnison, persecution for our faith. But if you are persecuted for the name of Jesus, Peter says, rejoice, for the Spirit of God rests upon you. So you can rejoice in the Lord always when you take an eternal perspective, a heavenly view of what you are going through in life. I just want to finally say and conclude here that Paul asks this person, his true companion. We don't know for sure who that is. It could have been the pastor of the Philippian church. It could have been uh, someone else who was uh, acquainted with Euodia and Syntyche's division. But he asks this true companion to help these women to join together in the same mind. But I just want to exhort us here this morning. And I have seen this in this church. Like Paul, I I love you guys. I long to see you. I have a pastor's heart for you. It's a gift of God. But I want us to join together to help one another to walk this path. And I see it time and again as, as I watch you. You guys love one another. I know that. But let's commit to a deeper and to a greater and a more profound exhibition of love. One of the things that the the Roman historian Seneca wrote about the Christians was the reality of their love for one another. In fact, he records, my, how the Christians love one another. Heavenly Father, 
we are thankful that you have given us the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's through your amazing grace that we are able to sit here this morning as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so our prayer, Lord, is that you strengthen us by your spirit, that you focus us upon the reality of our citizenship in heaven. And that this church, community church here in Gunnison, Colorado, would become a church so profoundly founded in love for God and for one another that even the non-believers would have to testify that there is something unique, something different about them. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.